In addition to a previous stint in Afghanistan, he'd done two hauls in Iraq, where he'd seen some horrific wounds inflicted on soldiers who were stationed inside the insurgents' haven between Mamadiya, Yusufia, and Latifia, an area that was known as the Triangle of Death. This would be his fourth deployment. Corville's time in Iraq was important because it had exposed him to so much trauma. By the time he got to Keating, he had dealt with somewhere around 1,500 injuries, a mixture of Americans and Iraqis with the balance tipped toward the Iraqis. From the perspective of a medic, however, there was one thing that made Afghanistan fundamentally different from Iraq, which was that you couldn't simply staunch a wounded man's bleeding and expect that a helicopter would appear from out of nowhere to whisk your patient off to a hospital. The battle theaters of Afghanistan were too remote for that. Instead, many medics would have had to wait, on average, at least an hour and a half for a chopper to fly out their casualties. At Keating, it could take far longer, which is why Corville and Cordova knew that they needed not simply to offer effective triage treatment, but also to keep their patients alive long enough for the Helivac to show up. The aid station was set up to handle three wounded men at a time. The worst case would be taken directly inside, where there was a wooden frame designed to hold a stretcher at waist height. The other two casualties would typically be carried out to the cafe, a wooden deck extending off the west wall of the building. This area was partially covered by a tin roof and camo netting, and it was further protected by a double-stacked wall of sandbags, about four and a half feet high. The medics had oxygen tanks, a ventilator, and a defibrillator that we never used. To administer saline and intravenous drugs, they would suspend bags from nails on the rafters in the ceiling. The walls also featured two whiteboards. The one by the litter frame kept track of the patient's vital signs. The other board was supposed to display the phone numbers of other buildings, such as the command post and the mortar pit but instead we used it to run Keating's daily incoming fire betting pool. The betting board kept track of the daily wagers everyone placed on when and where we were going to get hit next. The majority of those bets were logged on Fridays and Saturdays because those were the days the Taliban most liked to nail us. The board also kept track of side bets on more nuanced wagers, like, for example, whether the attack would involve small arms fire or the B-10 or which gun trucks would get hit, and how many times. There was never money riding on these bets, because most of us didn't have any cash, so the stakes usually involved cigarettes or brass 50 caliber machine gun cartridges, which could be used as currency to purchase cigarettes. The aid station was pretty sweet for a number of important reasons, starting with the fact that the medics almost always had electricity, because they were connected into the command post's backup generator. This meant that they not only had air conditioning, but also their own phone as well as internet with a DSN line, which meant that you could call back home to the States or set up a Skype chat on the computer. Cordova and Corville were extremely generous with both the phone and the computer, and the guys who were married tended to lean on that generosity pretty heavily, even though, in a reflection of how much stress we were all under, their calls home would often lead to absurd and pointless arguments. One night, one of them found himself in a furious dust-up with his wife about the placement of a chandelier. Later, another dude got into a screaming match over where his wife had left the remote control to the TV.
Jesus, muttered Copus, who had inadvertently overheard part of that call. Please tell me you are not fighting with your old lady about where she left the clicker. From Afghanistan. Despite those minor unpleasantries, the aid station offered an escape to which anyone who wanted could retreat to bullshit, hang out, drink coffee, smoke cigarettes, and tell stories. Sometimes Corville and Cordova would prop the computer on the litter frame so that everyone could sit around and watch shows like The Wire or The Office. At other times, Corville would give classes on basic medicine or on how to use PowerPoint.